Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's brutal outside. I mean, it's freezing. It is ridiculously cold outside. And if you're feeling cold inside, that's a problem. That's not what should be happening. And the solution could be taking a closer look at your windows. And you can do that by hollering at your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln experts. And they are going to be able to take a look at your windows. And you can save energy and stay warm, which is huge right now, with windows from Pella that are properly installed the patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha. Com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. And, uh, oh boy, people have listened and they have followed directions. They have taken advantage of Temperature Tuesdays because it's so cold outside. It was, I believe it was negative 11 degrees at 6 a.m. on Tuesday in Runza land. So that means you got a free Runza with the purchase of a medium fry and a, re- or, and a medium drink. How about that? And... Look, looking at uh, Runza's Instagram, uh, this past Tuesday, 83,000 Runza sandwiches were sold on Tuesday. 83,000 Runzas. <laughs> That's incredible. I was driving around and uh, I drove and I saw there were, I, I drove by a Runza and there was a line like spilling out every which direction of, of like 30 cars. It was just, a, I brought a tear to my eye. It brought a tear to my eye. Make sure next Tuesday you take advantage of it. Again, the temperature at 6 a.m. Uh, in in for the next couple of weeks, so for until February is finished, uh, on every Tuesday in Runzaland, the price you'll pay when you purchase for an original Runza sandwich, when you purchase a medium fry and a medium drink. And while you're there, tell them your pal Nick Baugh sent you. Okay. It is uh it, it's it's February eleventh, uh, about ten forty-five in the morning. And uh, it's time. I, I I was like, hey, what do I want to do with this pod? And I figured, you know what? I want to I want to holler at uh, a, a guy who I think is I think the world of. That's Bruce Rasmussen, Creighton Athletic Director. Lots of different things to touch on with Rass. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about with with Rass was he's a former chair of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. He's been in the room. Just how he would go about the process of putting together a field of sixty eight teams during a season like this, where teams are playing. You, you know, Xavier, I think, has played six conference games. Creighton has played 15. You know, like teams playing different am- uh, amounts of games. Uh, obviously, winning on the road isn't the same as it used to be anymore. How, how do you handle teams going on pause? All those kinds of things. Wanted to pick his brain on that. And then, of course, talk about just how it's been handling things from an athletic director standpoint in the midst of the pandemic, budget-wise, with, uh, with, with all the different athletic department programs, um, you know, and, and kind of just how this season has gone from an execution standpoint for college basketball and for Creighton on a variety of levels. Every time you talk to Rass, you get smarter. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you think. He's one of my favorite guys in the world, so let's get to it. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Creighton Athletic Director Bruce Rasmussen. 
All right, on the line now, a guy I've known for a long time, Bruce Rasmussen, great athletic director, the best athletic director in the country. Uh, Rass, how are things? How are you? I said it's colder than my wife outside. That's pretty low standard. But other than that, I'm doing fine. <laughs> it is. Uh, listen, you and I, we're Midwest boys, and we, uh, you know, we're not completely soft with with cold weather. There is winter. And then there is what has been happening for the last couple of weeks. There's like 20 inches of snow. There's It's negative 10 out. It's awful. Yeah, and I knew I, – I predicted this in November when we sent our, our student-athletes home just before Thanksgiving and knew they weren't coming back until late January. I said, you know, in December – we could have practiced almost all of our sports, soccer. We didn't have snow. We have turf. We could have practiced baseball and softball. And yet with this compressed spring schedule, I said, you watch. We could practice in December and, and, and January when we send our student athletes home. And when we bring them back in late January, we're going to get snow and extended cold. Yeah. I should be in the weather forecasting instead of in my business. <laughs> you're in the wrong field of work, and that's saying yeah. something, you know. I mean, but people you're right. have been telling me that for a long time. <laughs> it's a little too late for you to pivot, huh? It's a yeah. little too late. <laughs> um, hey, first of all, before we get we get too deep into this stuff, I really I wrote this down. How about our guy D Rock, Darren DeVries, head coach at Drake? For people that don't know, was an assistant for, gosh, the better part of almost 20 years at Creighton. Certainly a guy you know well, I know well. Their undefeated run got snapped a few days ago, but, wow, 19-1. and one. I'm not surprised, I think, the world of the guy, but pretty cool to see, you know, a, a guy that, that really cut his teeth at, uh, at Creighton spreading his wings and, and really, really performing at a high level as a head coach at Drake. Well, both you and I have been around him for a long time, and we knew if he was given the opportunity to be successful. The surprise to me has been how quickly it's come around, because if you look at Drake basketball over the last 30, 40 years, they have not had sustained periods of success. They may have had a year where they were pretty good, but they just haven't had success. And for him to go over there and – I think they've won 20 or more games every year he's been there. And this year, and if you've seen them play, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was texting him two days ago, and he, he said something to me in a text that was so interesting. He goes, he goes you know what, Nick? It's amazing what a, what a little confidence and a little grit will get you. Yeah. And isn't, that, isn't that true? Like, we, we make basketball really complicated, but if, like, you can find a way to get your guys to collectively believe and collectively play with a little bit of toughness, you can win a lot of games. Especially at the college level. Yep. You know, make people beat you. And if you have a toughness and you have some confidence and you don't turn the ball over, you make your free throws, you don't give up easy baskets – uh, you have an opportunity to win a lot of games, and that's the formula that Drake is using. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I, w- I want to get into this year's uh, you know, Creighton Blue Jays in a little bit, but I, I wanted to start with this. I remember talking with you in the summer, and you know there were a lot of ideas thrown out there on how college basketball would execute the season. Are there going to be bubbles? Are there going to be pods? Are we going to do what the Valley's done and do back-to-backs? A bunch of different stuff has been thrown out there. Overall, as we're gosh, just now we're recording this on February 11th. How how have you thought it's gone? Like, how, how do you feel like college basketball is has executed running the season? 
Well, it's gone better than I anticipated. And, and as you know, when we were back in the summer, there really wasn't a good answer. We were trying to find the best bad answer. Yeah. And uh, but yet at the uh, Division One level at this point, 82 percent of the games have been played. Uh, and in our and in the in the Big East, over 80 percent of our scheduled games have been played. And if I think that if uh, in in November, December, if if somebody would have said, will you take 80 percent of the games being played? We just we did absolutely taken it. And, you know, one of the big concerns and obviously December and January, we didn't have a lot of people on campus. But I think everybody was concerned about what happens when students come back to campus after being away for two months. And uh, uh, what are we are we going to see a huge jump in in uh, coronavirus cases? And we really haven't. Right. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, we've got another month to go sure. and hopefully the next month we get at least 80 percent of our, our contests in. But but I have been pleasantly surprised from you bring up students coming back on campus. And I'm curious from from just a specific campus perspective at Creighton, how has it been? I mean, because you guys probably had a million Zoom meetings in the spring and summer and you wonder and you plan and you meet and you plan with students coming back and how you're going to navigate class and athletics during this pandemic. How's it been at Creighton? Well, and it's a, it's a great question and I'm going to give a dual answer. First of all, I think the university did a tremendous job of planning and yet I can't, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. (laughs) And yet I can remember what some of my priorities were when I was 18 to 21. Yep. And they weren't in the 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. time frame. They were in the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. time frame. <laughs> and the university did a great job, I think, of planning from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But you have to give our students a tremendous amount of credit for how they have handled themselves 24 hours a day. Not just the, the typical Creighton um, campus day but 24 hours a day i i have been tremendously impressed with our students yeah I, you know Russ, i said this the other day on the air might have been during the creighton marquette game that you know we're all going through a tough time and we're all sacrificing with this pandemic and you never want to you know make someone you know your trials and tribulations tougher than someone else's but as a lot of us listening a lot of people listening to this said that have gone to college understand that you know college is the social time of your life and we are being asked to social distance and that is really hard like every coach I've talked to and uh, throughout the course of the season they've all said the same things like man this is really hard on the players and I just I know what I was like when I was in when it was in college this would have been brutal for a 21 year old Nick Ball. Well, it's brutal, I think, for anyone uh, in that age group, because while we talk about our academics and we talk about the classes and the, and the majors we have and everything, the, as you know, the main value of college is the interaction with other people. Yeah. And I think we found in this pandemic, one of the positives we found is we have better recognized and better understood the value of having relationships with people you know and trust because it's been taken away 
And when you don't have it, you have a better understanding of the value of, of, of what you've lost. But I just, I mean, the college experience, and in, in, again, you, know, you, you certainly are much closer to it than I am, but, but I see it every day with these 18 to 21-year-olds, and it's why I've continued to work, and it's why I've stayed on a campus like Creighton, because I just truly value that interaction right. and the energy from the interaction of 18 to 21 year olds. And a lot of that has been taken away. You know, I think it was coach K back in December. I think it was, he it kind of just questioned whether, Hey, are we doing the right thing by playing college basketball right now? And you know, it sparked a lot of discussion at the time. And while I disagree with him, I can respect his, his point of view on it. How, how would you answer that question? I mean, as we're a month away from from the season being finished or really almost two months I guess when you think about the the tournament are we doing the right thing by playing college basketball right now well first of all I certainly understand his perspective and like you I disagree with it but you have to ask the question I mean the health and safety of your students and your student athletes has to be your top priority but it's not your only priority and the the question I have is, yes, that had to be asked. That has to be floated out there. But what would our student athletes be doing if we didn't have competition, if we didn't have sport? What would they be doing? Would they have the same protocols? Would they have uh, the same schedule? I mean, we have, we have been very careful. We test our athletes three times a week. Students get tested once a week. Uh, we have stricter protocols for our student athletes and for our students, and they have more reason to be careful. So while, again, I go back to I don't think playing is a good answer, but I think it's be a better answer, a better bad answer yeah. than not playing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I, it's a it's a it's a good way to put it. That's the thing I've said all along. Like, if you're if you're seeking the perfect answer in an imperfect situation, well, then you're always going to be disappointed and, and upset with what's going on. And I mean, this is the definition of an imperfect situation. And I think that everyone's trying to do the best they can. And speaking of that, you guys have uh, you, you've you've put fans in the stands about ten percent at the CHI Health Center, which is you know I think I think it's something you can do safely, and you guys have. What's what kind of went into all of that, and how do you feel like the execution of that has gone so far for a couple of months? Well, uh, again, another great question, and I mean, we we met daily with local people, with our campus people, with people from Mecca, and uh, I certainly understand our fans who say, in spite of the fact that you are allowing fans at games, we just don't feel comfortable in going. However, I'd also tell you that those fans that have gone to games, the communication we overwhelmingly get is how safe they feel when they're there. Yeah. And our, our, our arena is a perfect setup for having some fans because when it was built as a multi-purpose facility uh, with hockey as one of the primary tenants at that time, ironically, with the Dasher boards, you have a, a very uh, definitive uh, uh, separation between those people on the floor and fans. Uh, you know, everything inside the Dasher boards is, is pretty much a bubble or isolated. And uh, so I think that uh, 
uh, while we would love to see more people there, I think that it's worked out very well, but it required a tremendous amount of planning yeah. from city people, Mecca people, Creighton people, and I think it's gone very well. Hey, Russ, I, you know, certainly I'm not asking you to divulge specific numbers and your, you know, your, your, your books and your budgets right now, but I'm curious how it's been with your projections of budget hits for this year. Versus when you actually kind of start getting into the fiscal year and the seasons are, are, are starting, what's all that kind of look like? Well, it's, it's been a, a, a very stressful situation because, as you know, the main uh, revenue source for Creighton Athletics is men's basketball. And when you take away almost every revenue source, and some people have questioned, well, they say, well, you're allowing people at games just so you can make some money. And the reality is it costs us more to open the arena under the protocols we have today with limited fans than the amount of money that we're taking in by having those fans there. We're allowing people at games for two reasons. One is because I think it provides in a safe environment, a much better atmosphere for players than to play in a sterile environment with nobody in there. And so for our student athletes, I think it gives them not a normal game situation, but certainly not as abnormal as playing with nobody in the building. But secondly, it allows us to have some uh, a, a better contact and a better relationship with a number of our fans. And as we uh, and I think it's been uh, uh, a mental help for a lot of our fans that feel like they're isolated at home and they can't leave home and they, they don't have anything to look forward to. But uh, the more you can have people in attendance at your games, I think the better relationship you have. You know, one of the worries of all sports uh, nationally at, at the college level is as we make it easier for you to sit at home, watch the games on an HD 90-inch TV with yourself six steps from your refrigerator and seven from your bathroom, you lose a connection to your fans. And so the ability to have some of our fans be at our games, I think, helps us with our relationship with our fans also. But it's not a revenue generator. And for us, we probably bring in close to $20 million in one way or another in men's basketball. Uh, And almost all of those revenue sources have been taken away. So to manage the budget uh, is, is very stressful. However, I will say we have a number of fans who have been unbelievable. Uh, I, I, you're, you're familiar enough with pretty much college athletics that you're seeing virtually every university have some sort of a fund drive yep. to help mitigate the issues from a lack of revenue. And the results that we have had, the percentages that we've had of people who have supported us has been amazing. Our fans have been unbelievable. Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. And you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's Fiberglass windows use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl, made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's vinyl window series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy-efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella 
products with outstanding structural integrity, built from multi-chambered, fully welded frames and sashes, Pella's vinyl windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth. Runza's Crinkle Fries. It's Runza's Chili Cheese Fries. That's some legendary Runza Crinkle Fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce. Let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it. Legendary Runza Crinkle Fries. Homemade chili, cheddar cheese sauce. Oh, my goodness. It's a side that eats like a meal. So there you go. Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Bob Podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries and Runza. And while you're there, I'll tell them Nick Bob sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. I know for, you know, like my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, they, they've gotten to go to a couple of home games and they've, I've heard it from them. They've like, you know what? It, going to those games did something for me mentally you know like yep. it, it seriously it makes a big difference to get any taste of normalcy uh at all during these times and I, i'm sure it's got to be tough where you're fielding phone calls of who gets tickets and who doesn't get, yep. t- get tickets i'm sure that's not been enjoyable but listen you're doing the best you can in a bad situation which is kind of the theme w- that we're talking about here i would agree yeah I, <laughs> hey I, I want you to uh I want you now to take off your athletic director hat and put on your old NCAA selection committee hat because obviously you were on the NCAA tournament selection committee for years and then you were the chair of the NCAA tournament selection committee. Oh boy, it's hard enough to seed, <laughs> you know, a, a tournament <laughs> in, in normal years, but man, this year has got to be extremely challenging. Let's kind of chew on a little of the, a little of the, a few of the things here. For, how would you handle teams playing a different? number of games from an, a, a game total perspective. I think Creighton's played like six more conference games than Villanova has. And DePaul didn't play a single non-conference game. And, you know, Villanova or Xavier played like 10 or something like that. Like how, how would you go about sorting that out? Well, first of all, and it, 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 I'm glad I'm not on the committee this year, Ooh, boy. Uh, but, but uh, you cannot penalize schools for not playing. Right. Okay. Uh, you have to, do a better job. You just have to dive into it more and evaluate what you see. The, obviously, most of the analytics that that not only the committee uses, but but fans use, most of those analytics depend so much on cross-pollination. They depend upon people, uh, schools playing, conferences playing each other, uh, not just playing conference games, but playing a number of games uh outside of the conference where you can, you have a comparison between conferences. And I mean, we mentioned Drake earlier. How does a right a currently right now, 18 and one Drake team, how do they compare to a, a seven and seven big 10 team? I mean, you have to try to say, what would Drake's record be if they played in the big 10 uh, and how successful would they be? And th- that's difficult enough 
when you have a lot of cross-pollination, that's difficult enough when everybody plays pretty close to 30 games. But you have to add in these factors, too. There are advantages to playing a, a consistent schedule. There are also advantages to having some some pauses, some rest periods. I mean, yes, when teams come back from a rest period, there is an adjustment, but they've also had a break where someone else may have played 10 games in the last, you know, three weeks and you had a break, but you come back, you're fresher. So the committee has to evaluate what, what about the performance of a team when they first came off pause, but what about the performance of a game in which a team is fairly rested compared to a team that has played, you know, 10 games in the last three weeks? Right. Uh, so there's more complication than there has been. And people use the term I test and it's the wrong term, uh, but it, it needs to be described. And when I was on the committee and, you know, we encouraged people to watch games in those conferences that they were primary or secondary overseers. But I said, OK, we need to have not just watch the games, but we have to have a blueprint as to when you are watching the game, what are you looking for? You're not just saying, well, OK, uh, Villanova beat Marquette 94 to or 96 to 64 last night. But when you watch it, let's go through a checklist. Okay. Let's talk about offense. What are we looking for? What do they have a balance between inside and outside? Do they have a player that's difficult to guard? Do they have some depth? Do they rely only on the perimeter shot or, or can they go inside and outside defensively? Do they have an ability to, force people to turn the ball over to dictate pace uh how are they as as a rebounding team do they make their free throws do they give up easy baskets those are the things that when you watch a game you have to have a checklist to say this is what i'm watching for not just to see if they're bigger faster right. stronger and so uh, i think the committee is going to have to rely on that type of information much more than they've had to in the past. And uh, like you said, you're going to have some teams that have played. We have played 15 league games. Xavier's played six. Right. We're in the same conference. Right. Uh, and so how are you going to judge that? And then you've got more uneven scheduling than you may have had. It could be that you've got a team that ends up playing 15 league games, but because of how their pauses worked out, they played 10 on the road and five at home. Right. Uh, somebody else may have played the top four teams in the league twice and nobody on the bottom or vice versa. And so you've got all these different things that you have to look at this year that you may not have had to look at in the past because you had much more of an even schedule. Well, and then the, the, the other thing on this, too, is how would you go about evaluating something I know you were big on and I think everyone should be is where was the game played? Was it played uh, at a neutral site? I mean, at weighing, yeah. you know, winning on the road versus being at home. I think the numbers bear out that that home court advantage hasn't been as significant this year. How, how would you evaluate a road win? Road win in air quotes. Well, great, great point because you're absolutely right. The percentages this year are significantly different than they've been in the past. And when I was on the committee, we made it a point to to um, 
distinguish between a win at home, a win on a neutral site, and a win on the road. And it wasn't perfect because, as you know, some schools have a better home court advantage than others. Yes. I mean, you're, you have a much diff- more difficult time playing at Villanova than you do at DePaul. However, this year, and, and you look at the quadrant system, and it was set up that way to do a better job of recognizing home, road, and neutral. That's all thrown out. And basically, every analytic, whether you're looking at KPI, Ken Palm, BPI, strength of record, whatever, they have a home, road, and neutral factor based upon years and years of data. You have to throw that out this year. <laughs> you do. I mean, it's just, I don't know how you, I mean, you've obviously been there. I've been on the road at some of these games and, you know, you sit there and go, okay, well, uh, you know, St. John's won at Marquette, but it's just, it's different. You know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's not saying it's, uh, it renders the accomplishment meaningless. It's still not easy to get on a plane and go play some, someplace else and, and win, but it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. And you're right. It is easier. I mean, when our team goes to Marquette, okay, traveling is different than it's been. I mean, you're, you're going from the, the plane to the hotel. You're not leaving your hotel, right? You can't leave your hotel room. You know, you feel like you're in jail. So there is a home team factor that's positive. How much is it? Yeah. It isn't the same as it's been. Nope. And so I don't know how, I mean, the quadrant system in a lot of ways needs to be thrown out this year right. because it, right. you don't have the same values to a home neutral and road win that you did in the past. Russ, I don't want to put you in a tough spot, so I won't, I won't ask you, should we play the conference tournaments? Because that's been a hot button issue. But I guess, how do you see that? Because it, there's, again, there's certainly a lot of different ways to look at it, especially when you look at like something like the Big East tournament. You know, their their finals would be on Saturday, and the and the tournament would begin just a, the NCAA tournament with Jim just begin just a few days after that. How do you see that topic of playing the conference tournaments? Well, again, I, there there's no great answer. Right. You're just trying to find the best bad answer. And so many we individual players and individual teams and fans uh, have been uh, wired, uh, programmed to understand the value of a conference tournament. And in some ways for teams that haven't had the success that they've wanted to have, you say, "Okay, it's a new season. Okay, let's just work in February on getting better. Because when we go to the conference tournament, everybody's zero and zero. And so you want your your players to have that opportunity. And yet conference tournaments aren't going to be what they've been in the past. No. You know, you're not going to have the same environment. You're not going to be able to go from your hotel room down through the lobby and have thousands of fans there getting you pumped up to go to the game. And when you go to the game, have that atmosphere, that conference tournament atmosphere. And yet, uh, so that's one side of it. And you say, why, why should we play it? The other side of it is you do have uh, give your players an opportunity. Uh, it's almost a second season mm-hmm. and you give them that additional opportunity and it gives you a, an additional motivation in the month of February, especially for those teams that maybe haven't done as well. So now you look at the teams that have and say, what does going to the conference tournament do for us from a positive standpoint? 
And, you know, one of the advantages for a team like Villanova in the past, even though they knew before they went to the Big East, it's a preparation. It simulates the NCAA tournament. So you do have sort of a preparation for the NCAA tournament. And yet uh, I've talked to some uh, men's basketball committee members, and I think they're going to look very negatively at a team that decides to opt out of a conference tournament because they feel they're already in the NCAA tournament. So I think you'll see pretty much every conference play the tournament. Uh, The Big East is going to have protocols very similar to what the NCAA protocols are to protect the health and safety. It's pretty much a bubble. I mean, there's no such thing as a pure bubble, but it'll be a very controlled environment. We feel like it'll be safe. And and we hope that the players feel that it's it, it was worth doing, but it's not the same tournament atmosphere no. uh, that we've had in the past. We'll get you out of here on this, Ras. Appreciate your time. We'll talk about the 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 Blue Jays this year. I mean, they're you know fifteen and five, eleven and four in conference play. Um, you know, it it feels like in years past, it feels like Creighton's had a hard time at, at in instances winning when they don't shoot it well and play well. This group's been different. This group has done a much better job, I think, of winning rock fights and finding a way to win when you know you don't shoot it great from three, which I think really speaks to the growth of this individual group. How do you? What's kind of stood out to you so far with 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 this team? Well, I think sometimes we forget they're eighteen to twenty-one year olds, and and uh, you know you don't have great days every day, right. and so you're going to have some days where you don't play well. And some of it is just a timing issue. You know, we're, we're not playing well. The other team's not playing well and we got away with it. But, <laughs> right. but, uh, this team, uh, they like to practice. They like each other. I think they've got a toughness that they haven't had. I don't think we have the same options on offense that we've, that we had last year, for mm-hmm. instance, I think we probably underestimated what, uh, what Tyshawn Alexander brought, uh, to the team. But I think we're better defensively. Uh, I think that uh, uh, we have done a much better job of being connected defensively. And at this time of the year, you see teams that don't have a great culture, and they're a little bit more me-oriented or selfish, both offensively and defensively. It's like, I got to get my points. I'm going to try to make a play instead of... I'm going to be the person that gets an easy basket for somebody else. But on the other end, it's like my guy didn't score, you know, and you have to be really connected defensively, especially this time of the year and not just concerned about your assignment, but the entire team. And I thought like the other night, I thought we were really connected against Georgetown and taking away their inside game. And it wasn't just our post players that did that. It was all five guys connected and, and rotating and taking care of, of uh, responsibilities that were team responsibilities. And I, th- I thought we've shown a lot more grit, a lot more toughness this year, which comes sometimes when you've got an older team, but uh, I've been pleased with our team defensively. We really haven't played as well offensively as our potential or as I thought we might. Uh, but, uh, but I'm excited about how we finish the year. I think yeah. we got a real good opportunity to, to have some success. I do too. And I think, and you know this, cause you've been around it and you were a coach, like it's a, it's a mental and emotional grind to fight and battle your way through a regular season and win your conference. And everything is kind of building towards March madness for kind of like, okay, I don't want to call it the payoff, but like you get that big stage and you do, I think in some ways, 
and, and listen, everything's relative, but like I feel like I've underestimated that element with this group that it, it had to have been really, really, really tough on them to you know, they 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 really battle and they win the league last year, and then here comes the big moment where they're gonna be able to validate all this stuff in the in-state tournament, it gets taken away, and now they gotta do it all over again. You know, like that's not that's not easy to do to kind of ratchet it back up and and kind of dig down into that emotional and mental part of your brain that it takes to to battle every day in, in conference. And I think this group has done a better job than I think maybe even I've given them credit for of continuing to stay locked in day to day. I, I agree with you, Nick. And culture is an overused term, but. I think it's magnified this year because of the fact that you can't get away from each other. Yeah. Uh, they don't have an opportunity in the league practice to go out and see other people or to get to get out, uh, get away from campus, get away from basketball. And so I think on a year like this year, the relationship between players on the team and the culture you have is magnified. And that's why I think you're seeing right now, and I, I said the same thing last year, why we were so good down the stretch and why I expect us to be successful down the stretch this year is because this is a group of guys that really do care for each other and do help each other out in a year where, I mean, hey, a good example is this. I've been home a lot more this year than I have in the past, right. and I, I'm not sure that that's all positive for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, get out of here right. for a while. Right. And think about it with the players. Right. I mean, they, they, they have been, they have not gotten away from each other since August. Mm -hmm. And so those little things that, that, can become big things. Uh, our our team has done a great job of handling. I think. Totally agree. Bruce Rasmussen, Creighton Athletic Director. Ras, uh, always uh, enjoy picking your brain. Uh, I will see you this weekend. I'm sure uh, walking around as Creighton's got a big one against Villanova. I'm on that call for uh, for Fox. That's going to be a heck of, a, of an atmosphere there. Well, if if, uh, if Villanova shoots it like oh. they did last night. Uh, they can beat, they can beat Gonzaga. They can yep. beat Baylor. They can beat anyone. Yep. You just, you play Villanova and you hope that you confuse them enough and do enough things to, to take away a little bit of their rhythm. But, uh, they have looked really good the last couple games. Yes. If they continue that, they've got a chance to play for a long time. I so we're looking forward to the competition, whether you win or lose, you find out a lot about yourself when you play a lot, a team like Villanova. We're excited about the opportunity. Ras, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Take care. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.